three white people podcasting about Sunrise. <laughs> Let's get deep on Afrofuturism. <laughs> this, will, this will be the second time we visited Afrofuturism after uh, Maurice White about yes. a year ago, actually. He's, yeah, comes up in the book. <laughs> yeah, and it was a very uh, fun episode. I love Maurice. So let's uh, let's let's go back to the Afro future. Back to the. <laughs> Hi, welcome to and introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing. The original jazz man from outer space, it's Sun Ra. Prolific composer and performer melded musical experimentation, technological innovation, and cosmic philosophy over decades of experimentation with his legendary orchestra and its ever-changing lineup. And today we'll be learning all about sun and jazz and Egypt and space and time and the cosmos and the void through his biography, Space is the Place, The Lives and Times of Sun Ra. Wow. Did you say orchestra? Orchestra. That's a this strange pronunciation this of ain't orchestra. No normal orchestra. Ah. But first, let's introduce our own guest. She's music industry enthusiast and professional. It's Hannah Silk Champagne. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Yay. Yay. We like when people are both professional and enthusiastic. It really, it really hope, it it helps with it, right? Blends my two interests to being professional <laughs> and being enthusiastic. <laughs> A professional enthusiast. Well, yeah. Well, not necessarily an enthusiastic professional, but a professional about one what one is enthusiastic about. Who among us is an enthusiastic, an enthusiastic professional? Truly. Uh, yes. Yeah. I would say that I got where I am by being a very enthusiastic amateur. Mm, likewise. Yeah. I like to wake up on the right side of the bed and go to work and say, can't wait to tackle the inbox today. It feels good. <laughs> it feels good. And I like it. I, I can see the contempt <laughs> seething through your eyes. Aww. <laughs> uh, so Hannah, you uh, you suggested this book, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you uh, want to bring bring this book to the uh, to the and intro? Mics? Bring the void to and introducing. Yeah. Bring the void to the mics. Uh it's a book I'd never read and have wanted to. Great, this great, great excuse. This is a great bucket excuse. list motivation. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess Sun Ra is a really interesting character. I did not know how interesting until reading this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to talk about my where I where I'm coming from, yes, yeah, we uh, do, we do, we always do. Yes, grew up in a. a household with a jazz dad. Jazz dad. Jazz dad. <laughs> uh, so I remember my dad reading this book and telling me about Sun Ra and being like, he claimed he was a Martian and he's from Saturn and he <laughs> makes the jazz music. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I- Like he makes the jazz music as if the, all the concept of jazz flows through, from him. Yeah. I mean, it does, does it not? <laughs> uh, it is one of his many lives. What is the most <laughs> embarrassing kind of dad or, or a type of music dad? Jazz dad, uh, rock dad, blues dad, country dad. Blues dad's interesting with a weathered like blues festival shirt. Yeah. Like Chicago Blues Festival 1992 and it's got a whole big hole in the armpit. Yeah. Like yeah. Get into a little bit of a crunchy dad area too. Oh, like yeah. not crunchy. quite hippie but like is not well kempt. Like a jazz dad can be a well kempt dad. Oh yeah. And you like, can be a dapper jazz dad. Yeah. I, I think uh, the blues dad is the most likely to be wearing the pork pie hat, a pork pie hat and think Oof. he's really pulling it off. Well, yeah. I won't deny that a jazz dad can do that too. <laughs> Sorry, oh, dad. Yeah, that's but better. Yeah. But better. Yeah. 
No, those are, I mean, I mean classical. Rock, rock, rock Dad is also embarrassing though, because it's like, they're never, rock is like ongoing and evolving that's, a that's lot more than true. a lot of other like jazz. I mean, all music is fluid and, right, and right, you right. know, grows, but sure. it's, people know more about rock. So if your yeah. rock dad's like, I'm an ELO guy, you're like, oh, that's <laughs> yeah, really quite embarrassing right now. It's kind of by necessary, if you're a rock dad, your taste is calcified at some time, probably 20 to 30 years or earlier, yeah. depending on what point you became a dad. Yeah. Uh, and that is uh, definitely going to become embarrassing at some point. Yeah. Whereas, it's a little more ossified. It, I mean, there's still cool, good jazz coming out. I'm sure, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but all of the coolest jazz you probably know about if you're a jazz dad. So if you're like very, very deep into jazz of the 50s, 60s, 70s, that's probably kind of the, the apex. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. kind of the thing where the older you get, the more you can, you, the more you can just collect info about that specific time. So yeah. you kind of, the jazz versus rock, the, as time goes on, you can actually get cooler and you can only get less cool as the uh, the rock dad ages. Yeah. And I will say so many times while reading this book, I thought about the, I think you should leave Tim Heidecker sketch <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. if you've seen that and like, where it's like just naming like, and then this musician went on to work with this guy and like this guy, the best alto sax player in Chicago in oh, 1950s. No. And I like many times I'm just being like, I'm one of the girls in the room who has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and the guy who wrote this book is, is like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, no, jazz guys do love, do be loving to know and list personnel. Facts. Yes. Facts, lineups, yeah. dates. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, because jazz is so, you know, it's so all over the place. And so it's nice to just root it to, otherwise you're just in the void, right? Yes. But there's one man who is comfortable with the void so, in the history of the world, basically. We got a, besides, a, I don't know, like Jesus or something. <laughs> he seemed okay with it. Who among us can truly know the void? Nietzsche, yeah. <laughs> Nietzsche and Sun Ra. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is, we got off topic, but you, you grew up in the the a jazz household. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I kind of like knew who Sun Ra was for most of my life, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, didn't think about him a lot in my teen years, my preteen years. Uh, probably didn't think about him again until like Lil Wayne was coming out and being like, we are not all the same. I'm a Martian. Ah. And I was like, you and Sun Ra. <laughs> and, you know, that then I that kind of just became like a thought that stuck in my head. And I think, you know, with a lot of the resurgence that jazz has had over the last, I mean, popular, more like indie, mm-hmm. main, indie mainstream sure. kind of resurgence, uh, you know, he's come up a lot more. And I think people just sort of, you know, he, his work resonates a lot more. So it was interesting to kind of look back and yeah. yeah. I mean, he's definitely a guy with a huge legacy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He also had a long ass career. Yes. Yeah. Like he did a lot of stuff. Like probably close to 50 years. It was like 80, uh, not, not 80 years. It was like 60 years he was, that he was a musician. It was, it was a lot. It seems like, I mean, yeah, not to jump forward, but like started making music when it was like 12 yeah. and like proficiently. So yeah. How about, um, you, how about you, Molly? What did you know about Sun? Before I knew nothing. I knew uh, I had heard the name Sun Ra. I knew about Sun Ra jazz. I've never heard, I, as of recording right now, I've never heard, at least been able to recognize a Sun Ra tune, of which there are many. Yeah, can you hum a few bars? No, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> the, nothing comes to mind at the moment. But um, I, I'm aware of the legacy more than the actual like music itself. So reading about him was the first time I've ever really encountered his shit. Although I ha- I remember I had like a, one of those page a day like quote like music quote lyrics or quotes or something calendars when I was in high school. And I remember 
there, one of them was Sun Ra and they did like a little like fact about it. And I was like, this guy sounds kind of wild. Wow. <laughs> and then I just never thought of him again. Out there. Yeah. Just an out there dude. Um, but I came in very, very cold, but this was, this was fascinating. I like most of my, uh, more in-depth music knowledge. This was acquired back in my college radio days, uh, WNUR. I spent a little time working on the jazz show there uh, under DJ Justin Glick, I believe, was my mentor while I was there. Guys, wow, I wonder shout Phil out would, to that guy. Yeah, I've, I'm sure he will never hear, hear this. His name just <laughs> popped back into my head. But uh, like most things at, uh, at WNUR, experimentalism was pushed hard enough that Sun Ra was considered pretty normie for their uh, jazz selections there. So I, I became familiar with him as kind of like the uh, pop version of what we played. And it's like, we, you start there and then you move deeper down. So I, mm. I had heard some Sun Ra stuff enough to like, you know, recognize his his general style and like kind of influence there. But though I never became a Sun Ra fan, but also just as somebody fascinated with the uh, eccentrics in music history, you know, yes. always knew, knew of him as somebody who is on that, outer space wavelength and had kind of a cult of personality and um, uh, image around him uh, as as a, a, a spacist uh, jasmine. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to have that that broad image of him fleshed out through uh, learning all about his life and times through this book. Yes. And maybe listen to some tunes. Yes, we lives should. And yes. Lives. Lives, lives and, and times. times. Not, one, not one life. Lives bro. and times, people. Lives and times. Lives and times. Uh, yeah, we're we're definitely going to need to listen to some music because uh, reading about what jazz sounds like <laughs> is a confusing experience yes, sometimes. it's like dancing about architecture, right? It's exactly mm. like that. Mm. It, that's, that's, wow, that's so apt. Who, yes, I, did you come up with that? I don't know who came up with that. Should we look who came up with that? That's yeah. pr- it's probably like a pretty decent sized guy, a bigger guy. Mark Twain, <laughs> inventor uh, of all quotes. Uh, William Shakespeare. Uh, this, is, this is like a long... Uh, uh, post on some kind of medium like blog I, i'll get to the bottom of this oh later. no someone's yes. capitalizing on the seo of, yeah, uh, of that quote well, good for them yes get those display ads going yeah. so yeah let's let's talk about sun whose name i mean you can argue what what is his name right sun sun <laughs> so he was born herman Poole blount but he by the 50s his official name was lusoni ra that's l-e space s-o-n apostrophe y space r-a that's his legal name. He was born on May 22nd, 1914. Gemini. Okay. Big, Big old Ge- Gemini. Gemini energy. Woof. With uh, the double numerics. Yeah. As pointed out. Yep. Um, he was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Not sure if you would be familiar with this, but being a black man born in 1914 in Birmingham, Alabama, it's not great. Not good. Not, not good. Not a good start. Um, so, so I just said that sentence, right? Like he was, he was his name and he was born, but that's not quite accurate for Sun Ra, um, because quote, at the heart of everything that Sun Ra did or said was the claim that he was not born, that he was not from earth, that he was not a man, that he had no family, that his name was not what others said it was. So this is a guy who he basically like when later someone asked him about like being born or like where he, he was born, he's like, birth is the beginning of death. A birth is a place for sleeping. Uh, to be be-earthed is to be buried. Like, so this is like, he's not really relating to the ideas of being like born or dying in the same way that you or I, he, perhaps. He, I, he self-identifies as uh, a mortal being beyond beginning and end. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if mortal would really qualify in his definition of 
his being, but yeah. So maybe it's an oxymoron itself to say an immortal being beyond beginning and end. He is a being beyond beginning and end. But he let he when he says like he he wasn't born, he arrived. Sure. And so when you die, you leave. Mm-hmm. So that's some sort of beginning or end, maybe. <laughs> it's uh, this is just one stage in a, a continuation. And this is all we can talk about. Just this for the rest of I'm the time. I'm happy yeah. to go deep, deep on this. We are uh, recording this the Monday after the first two Democratic uh, primaries. Mm-hmm. The world has been uh, introduced properly to the Marianne mindset. Mm. Uh, I feel like uh, she uh, and and son probably would be able to communicate a lot with each other, but might have same vibrational frequencies. I feel like she could go to his shows and like, and be like, I come home and be like, that was kind of interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, I feel like she would hear him speak and be like, Oh yes, I, I agree and understand this. And he would hear, hear her speak and be, yeah. and be like, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> they could nice have try. a somewhat coherent conversation. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Um, so son, he, uh, I'm just going to call him son, even though at this point, I guess he's still Herman. His Sonny. Sonny. Uh, his great aunt Ida bought him a piano when he was 11. Um, he started writing songs and poems shortly thereafter. He could start sight reading music shortly thereafter. He was composing full arrangements. Like he was kind of a prodigy. He's, a, he's like a, a savant he, too. It yeah. seems like he can like kind of immediately understand uh, music. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Understand. I think that's a good, good word to use. Um, and so in the, the twenties, like he went to see, traveling dance bands that was like a big thing big bands that was also the uh i should reference the person who wrote this john f zwed 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 uh just talking about which i think we talked about a little bit in our louis armstrong episode that the idea of like you can have sort of an elevated life as an african-american if you are in like a traveling band like yeah. it's a different way of life it's not quite assimilating into white life or being accepted by white people but it's sort of this like liminal existence yeah. Yeah. that they, he saw. Yeah. And, and like they talk a lot about like Birmingham in that time where it was like, there is a cent- like a zone of blocks where black people can go at that time on, except for like one day a week. And so it probably like opens up different spaces in the world to you when you are able to play music for white people right. or right. just people in general across, you know, different cities and states. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and part of one of the ways that things never change is that that is still an extremely uh, relevant way for black people to escape cer- a, a certain traps of society and life. Weren't you talking about how Vince Staples uh, very openly is like, oh, no, I just do music oh, yeah. to like have a career yeah. and not be like poor and trapped in, in this in inner city anymore. Right. Yeah. No, he he's, I mean, who knows? Like everything, I guess you, he could say you could take as a little bit of trolling, but he, I do believe him when he says he's like, no music just happens to be the way that I am making the most money right now. Like I might pivot to like sports commentating. If that ends up being like more worthwhile for me, mm-hmm. he could totally do that too. Yeah. He'd be great at it. Sun Ra could never. <laughs> Sun Ra I would <laughs> like to hear a Sun Ra sports commentary. <laughs> that would be like, someone would be like, oh, and you know, Johnson has, has caught the ball from Phillips and uh, Sun Ra would be like, what is ball? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? It's what round. Is the ball not but traveling through <laughs> yeah. the void from one solar cosmic being to another. Yeah. <laughs> through the basket that represents the... Yeah. <laughs> Has, has he has not and he just become embodied the planar entity of ball catching? Right, ball is ball is life, but ball. life is not ball. Yes, 
Um, anyway, he was noted in high school for having a huge appetite for books and he did a lot of reading, um, which he did a lot of reading at a time when, uh, if you, the library was segregated and he had to basically knock on the back door of the library and like ring a bell and wait for someone to like deliver him books. Like y'all got those books. (laughs) One book, please. Um, he was discussed to be a valedictorian of his high school, but he quote, had no interest in it because he said he wanted nothing to do with leadership. So well, for a guy who ran a like forty piece band for like thirty years, uh, we'll see about that. Yeah, but he's like a reluctant leader. So, yeah, it's a big, big challenge for him. Yeah, yeah. yet an intellectual. Uh, some are born into leadership. Some uh, have leadership thrust upon them. Some emerge as leaders from an endless and constantly shifting void of chaos. Ooh, yes, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's playing piano with various touring bands and local bands. He's in teacher's college for a little bit, um, but he leaves after a very intense religious experience. And this is either in 1937 or 1938. I also want to go back to, I love that he gets a scholarship to the teacher's college and he's in a band. And then I like that. It's like, the whole band got scholarships and all went to the college. And he's like, fuck, I was doing this to get away from the band. I don't want to be in the band anymore. Like I want to go to teacher's college. And then they're like, sorry, you're the school band now. (laughs) They like drafted a band. They were like, the school needs a high school, needs a college band. Yep. All these guys. Yeah. He's like, I want to be a teacher and go to teacher college. And he's like, cool, but you're also in the band and all your bandmates are coming with you. And now you have to stay with them and you're not escaping them. (laughs) But like education comes with a job. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, but. I, for, I forgot about that. That was very good. Like, fuck these guys. Um, so yeah, he, ha- he has this vision and just to, to compress what he, he was quoted as saying the vision was, he said, spacemen contacted me. They wanted me to go to outer space with them. I landed on a planet that I identified as Saturn. Uh, the spacemen told me to stop teachers training because there was going to be trouble in every part of life and I would speak and the world would listen. So he came home from teacher's college because of this. Wow. That's really, in 1937 or 1938? Yeah. So just a reminder, because I honestly had to be reminded, is that we weren't in space then. And like, we kind of weren't close. Like, we were just, I think we're still figuring out the whole plane I mean, thing. Yeah. yeah even, I, that, that made me think of like when the idea of science fiction gets injected into culture. And the War of the Worlds uh, radio broadcast was October 30th, 1938. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he... Even if he's, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take him at his word that this is a genuine religious experience, but then maybe suppose that it was something influenced by society or culture around him. He, he would be at like the cutting edge of like sci-fi, aliens, space exploration, even if he is absorbing that from uh, uh, like culture and stuff. It's noted a couple times that this is like before the first recorded UFO sighting, before the first claims of like alien abduction, mm-hmm. they later like go through an area where like the second or third people had claimed to be abducted by UFOs. And like, there's all these, yeah, it's so he's definitely early on the abduction UFO it, trend. It, it, yeah. The absolute bleeding edge of thinking about spacemen. Yes. Yes. It was not it remotely. I don't think in any kind of like wider cultural yeah. context, especially in like Birmingham at yeah. teacher's college. No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> when was he, when did he first like did he like write about this or speak about this yeah not until like years later oh, I can't okay. remember when that quote was from but he said he the the biographer said he kind of referenced it like it was a consistent story mm-hmm. that like it wasn't like he was like fucking with people like that was kind of one of the main 
backgrounds that he gave people about his life is that he went to Saturn. Um, so that happened. Uh, with the advent of World War II, uh, he was basically, he was like a conscientious objector, mm-hmm. which was extremely hard to do, yes. especially as a black man uh, in the South. He So he... The, this was a kind of a larger section of the book where he was basically, I didn't know, do you know about this? Civilian public service camps during World War II? I had not, I was not familiar with this, but this is apparently a place where you would be yeah. sent if you were like, I do not believe in killing people and I don't want to be put out in the theater of war. I was vaguely aware of various like civilian projects, but no, I, I don't know if I've heard about this specifically. Yeah. So yeah, is they, you not. get like dragooned into a, like a, a, a labor camp basically. Or basically. Something like that. So he went, he went to one of those for a while and then he went to straight up jail. Um, and his argument was like, I am a, like a spiritual but non-religious pacifist okay. because he wouldn't most claim people, membership to a church. He would yeah. claim membership to a church, which is, I, I guess, the normal way you would go about not he was trying to like appeal to the Amish or something, or like not be Quaker. Amish or Quakers. Know, part of like a Quaker community. Quaker. I'm just imagining like the guy at the the draft board being like, just write down a church, and he's like, God damn it, it's no. Saturn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So he yeah, he's gonna he's like, I would rather kill myself than be at this like. Like, book doesn't make the camps out to be that bad. I'm sure they weren't that great. But I'm like, I don't know, man. Just do a couple of years. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Just, you know, and better than farm. Like. Yeah, I guess. I'd rather farm than go to war. <laughs> Who, yeah. That sounds way better. Make make corns, not war. Yes. Mm. Um, grow corns, not war. The Yeah, so he, he was eventually fully discharged. Um, but he, they, the book said he came back changed. Like, this experience really changed him because he... I mean, I guess he was completely, I don't know how much trust he had in the government at that point, but yeah, I think I he think came having, back being like, there's not a place for me, like in society, basically. Yeah, I, I feel like having a intense coercive experience with the state is like a good place for a, a traumatic or a dramatic shift yeah. in your life. Well, I feel like the weird thing is that he was dealing with like the people on the ground at like the draft board, but then he was writing to like kind of higher levels of government yes. being like, I feel like you understand me. They don't understand me here, but mm. you, I like I'm appealing to your better senses and it kind of worked. Yeah. Like, cause he did eventually get out by yeah. doing that, yeah. but still, yeah, didn't. I don't think he likes bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Again, the guy, the guy behind the draft board office, uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't get uh Saturn, but you know, got a few levels up. He'll probably, yeah. he probably got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He knows. Um, so he, so he comes back in 1946. He moves to Chicago. Um, he, uh, starts kind of like playing around in local bands. He's, he plays with, uh, Fletcher Henderson's band. Is that a name that means things to you in a jazz dad sense, <laughs> in a jazz dad way? That's a name that means nothing okay. to me in an, I think you should leave sense. In a, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, Fletcher uh, Henderson. He, uh, tooting on the alto sax with the Fletcher Henderson <laughs> jazz band. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, so that's, you know, that was apparently like a, a big deal for, for him at the time, but one of the other band leaders uh, that he worked with in his early days in Chicago. So he would commented on Sun Ra's tendency. Like he was kind of responsible for, he was a copyist. So he was responsible for the arrangements and making sure that everyone in the band got them. He said, I give you these nice clean arrangements each week and look what you do with them. <laughs> my so arrangements, my, my beautiful arrangements. So he's like, he starts altering things. Right. Um, but, and then the guy goes, but, is- but damn, they sure sound good though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's, he's like, uh, yeah, Sally, Sally Airy being like, it's impossible. Why do they sound so good? <laughs> uh, this is like the time to be a, a musician, a black musician moving to Chicago. He's like really in the cauldron of, of uh, jazz music, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. But it sounds like it's not necessarily that easy to like yeah. get paid work. That's he worked sort of in a strip where, club like, for a while, mm. off and on for. Yeah, a like, that's where like this, like the times of his life become very. Because I'm like, oh, you've been making music forever. You've been in bands for forever. Like, when are you going? Like, I think you're successful now because you're in Chicago and you're playing. Like, yeah, you're you know he's starting to build the orchestra, but yeah, it's the ongoing question for me in this book as someone who thinks a lot about musicians and budgets and touring and yeah, how the sure. money's made. I'm like, where does any of your, like anyone's money come from? Right. Like, like how are you buying food today, son? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we can dwell on that for like the rest of this entire book, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a fertile time for sure. And uh, he's, he's there, but it's, he's like on, He's like in it, but he's on the fringe. I don't know. Cause he's not well, willing to, he's not going to play the game. My, yeah. yeah. My, yeah. My guess is that he is resistant to, uh, conforming <laughs> to, to anything. Yeah. Uh, which I imagine like all these, like a lot of art based systems, you basically like need, there's a, probably a fairly rigid system of dues paying and like, you know, subjugating yourself to like artists who you think can use you properly and better you in material ways and then move you up certain realms of experience and, and professionality. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Joining, you know, like joining that, joining people's bands. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, he's, uh, he's a creator for the creator. So he's (laughs) very reticent to do that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I feel like this is when, like, I want to say like John Coltrane starts getting referenced where I'm mm-hmm. like, I know that jazz guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, it's like, it seems like people will come over and like listen to him play at his house or like watch his rehearsals at his house. And they're like, Ooh, you're, you're really doing something. You get it. But he's not like getting it in the money sense. Right. He's mm-hmm. not commercially successful. He, I mean, in every kind of era of jazz that gets talked about, like in the forties, like with big band and then it kind of, evolves into rhythm and blues like he sort of participates and then but not fully he's never like one genre guy and then like bebop happens he understands these constructs but he is not like delved into any single one of them actually what one thing that was referenced is he worked with um winoni harris who we referenced in our music and labor podcast who was like an og rhythm and blues singer okay um and so like son will work with these people but he doesn't ever inhabit their world yeah the music union's a big thing like throughout yeah. the book yeah it's cool because that's like actually seems like how he gets a lot of work yeah yeah and how his compatriots get a lot of work yeah yeah so i think people yeah people are like you're very talented but stop changing my sheet music (laughs) just just play 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 the music play the music the way it's written dude um so by the mid to late 40s like he's sort of evolving into the person being he ends up really becoming Mm -hmm. where he gets really obsessed with space travel obsessed with um egypt which we saw again you know decades later with um Maurice White. Uh, he's obsessed with finding an in- a true interpretation of the Bible. Yes. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. He is decoding the Bible. <laughs> decoding the Bible ancient, like a boss. Ancient secrets of the Bible. Like he will, he basically like he'll, he be, will be looking at 
passages and then he'll rearrange them. He's obsessed with like puns and wordplay. Etymology. He Etymology. Want, he, he wants to do like a, a jazz set of the Bible. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. He's going to freak, freak the Bible. Yeah. Like. Yep. He's going to chop and screw it. Um, he also, he's very interested in recording technology. Yes. Things like microphone placement. Sure. Um, yes. He starts to Go obsessively record on. his mm-hmm. rehearsals. Yes. 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 Perfecting sound. Yes. Uh, so he's like, he's got that on his mind. And then he starts, he's composing his own music and he starts to really like recruit for like, okay, I want a band. Not necessarily in like the egotistical sense of like, I would like to lead this band, but like, I want people to play my music with me and also talk to me about Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> I need Listen to me talk about me? Egypt, yeah. really. Like. I need people to help me realize these musical dreams that I've been fostering for for 30 odd years now. Yeah. And then also some people who are obligated to hear my theories about Egypt. Yeah. Yes. He's kind of been doing that from the start. Because even like that, he's like, would teach people, but like not for money. And he'd yeah. like have people over to play for him, but not for any like actual desire to like play out or form a band. He's just like, I want people to play music with me, which is really cool. And then also he's like, now at this point, he's like, and I want you to listen to my theories on the true messages of the Bible and the origins of ancient African culture and how that connects to celestial beings in the cosmos. And is there any (laughs) sense, especially with like the Egypt and Bible stuff, is there any sense of him drawing from interpretation influences on that or is he kind of coming up with like this Egypt Bible stuff uh, on his own because that stuff does have like this yeah the uh, the like do. line through the latter half of the 20th century yeah like, various movements like Afrofuturism and yeah. like Israelite stuff but he sounds like he's, he's- pretty singular yeah it sounds like he's He's not interested he's been like he there's a long passage in the book that's basically kind of like a bibliography of like what he was reading at the time so there were texts but (laughs) yes but he synthesized it in a way that i think was like fairly unique to him yeah so he's he's basically like again like coming up with this kind of imagery and symbology and interpretation yeah because it's a lot to do also like the etymology like molly you're saying at the beginning it's like uh, birth is birth is the birth. Like yeah. he's just really like flipping, not just like, I'm going to take this book of the Bible and kind of reinterpret it. He's like taking words that are in there and flipping them to have like, like that was the whole thing of how he came to the name Sun Ra is like yep. Sun and Ra and like other words where it's like the beginning of this word. If you flip this word backwards, it's Ra and L yeah. and like he's delving really, really deep into the language of words in the Bible and and he's like so he's taking references but really really getting granular to like figure out where he's and then how it connects I mean we can probably get later but well no he's he's in Chicago now where Elijah Muhammad is there with Mm -hmm. the Nation of Islam Mm -hmm. and like I forgot Mm -hmm. the beginning of the book it references that Elijah Muhammad's original like his name is Elijah Poole and other people were like oh yeah his name is Middle name's Pool, Pool yeah, and yeah. also like, yeah. So there's a lot of connections drawn between him and the Nation of Islam for like many reasons because they're really, really close yeah. in in many ways. But in one way where they, you know, but I was reading this book in the park and I had to stop and be like, Sun Ra does not fuck because <laughs> it's just talking about some of like his very like he just like abstains from everything, which is like you know mm-hmm. a tenant of the nation of Islam. Yeah. Uh, but like they're into very like conservative dress and he's into really wild dress. Mm-hmm. So they diverge at many points, but are also 
draw on a lot of the same ideas and yeah. from a lot of the same like early African, like pan-African thinkers, but yeah. it's yeah. not he, quite the but same. He, but he's like developing these ideas on his own. Yeah. yeah. The, he doesn't in, have any friends. In the part, not really. <laughs> in the parts where they talk about like those similarities or like that they've at least like literally spoken, I, it was still just kind of like, oh yeah, like I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down, but like I've really got my own thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, I'm going to go and, you know, to tickle, tickle the ivory keys by yeah. myself. He's not a leaner leader, but he's also not a joiner. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not a joiner. Wow. Um, so he's got, he's got these people that are there. Everyone's hanging out. Everyone's trading ideas, mostly his ideas. Uh, this, I just wanted to pull this out cause I love this shit. He said, uh, the biographer wrote that, um, Sunra's people, the orchestra saw that the prophecies of the pyramid have predicted the end of the world in the thirties. And so they understood that we were living after the end of the world on borrowed time. Ah, this is the ah. best interpretation of apocalyptic biblical predictions I have ever heard in my entire life. I'm stealing it. No, I, I love it. It's perfect. Uh, you know what? The, I mean, if I could put a two more fine of a point on that, uh, I think if they had said the thirties, that's fine. Uh, look, if I was them, I would just move back a few years and be like the world end, ended when the atomic bomb went off. Mm. Like that is a really good time to say, the end yeah zero hour the that, that's the beginning of your the countdown to year zero and now yeah. we're li living in the negatives yeah there is a part later where on three mile islands there's an, a, a nuclear event Incident, and yes. he's very freaked out he starts getting really into that but that's yeah so long to go yeah that's when he releases um a protest song called nuclear war in 1982 which is basically seminal uh protest rap oh yeah, yeah. uh tries to get signed to columbia right. now they are not, <laughs> not <laughs> like, uh, okay it's like this is a hit dudes um anyway back, back to the 40s or back to the 50s early 50s now um so anyway he they've got the best uh interpretation of the apocalypse ever anyone who's like guys the world is that remember the rapture a few years ago 2012 mm. that was more like 2001 2002 no, the, 2000, the, 2012, was, I was my was senior really year. No, I was a senior year in college. And <laughs> Did you see what I'm doing? I, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that, Chris. Uh, reuniting, maybe some DJ sets. Uh. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, so Sun officially changes his name in 1952. Uh, he says, uh, Sun Ra is a business name and my business is changing the planet. <laughs> uh, oh, sure. I think he did make it an LLC. Yes. Which was smart. Yeah. yeah. Very smart. Yep, yep. Um, he had a strange gig in Chicago in the mid fifties, uh, which was playing at a mental hospital. Uh, John, John F. Swed sounds like, writes, sounds like a joke, but isn't, uh, he, he shares this anecdote a lot. Son does. He says, uh, while he was playing a woman who it was said had not moved or spoken for years, got up from the floor, walked directly to his piano and cried out, do you call that music? <laughs> and he was like delighted by this. So. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Success. I, that would be a, one of the most, the greatest accomplishments I could imagine, uh, making a, cat a catatonic person walk again from pure <laughs> hatred of my music. Yeah. <laughs> I just, or maybe curiosity. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so the arc, the official orchestra is formed in the 1950s, you know, it's orchestra, it's an arc, like Noah's arc, like he's mm -hmm. got his whole little like wordplay for why he's talking about it. Yeah. Uh, yep, exactly. So he, 
he's at this point, he's a leader. He's a band leader. He's a teacher. He's basically, he's having these rehearsals. He's having random musicians come in, often musicians who are also kind of on the fringes of what, who can kind of participate in this musical society. And just some, some of the examples of how he's coaching people. He'll say, he, he was talking to a, I think some sort of horn player. His name was Jackson. Jackson, play all the things you don't know. There's an infinity of what you don't know. Uh, another time he said, you know how many notes there are between C and D? If you deal with those tones, you can play nature, and nature doesn't know notes. <laughs> he would also uh, instruct people to play music in certain ways by saying, play that apple. Play the warmth of the sun. Do you know how water feels? Play that. <laughs> so, like, he was, he was not, you know... Notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Montessori uh, education of, of instructing an orchestra. Yeah. So he's like, I will write all of these parts for you all and then don't play them. Just feel them. Just feel yes. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he had obviously such high turnover in his band because gigs were scarce. Getting paid regularly was incredibly scarce. You'd always have these insane rehearsals that yeah. aren't really great for everybody's <laughs> minds. Right. Yeah. They're ongoing yeah. for forever sometimes like, he said look, look i i may not be getting paid for this but i'm also being told to play sky yeah. yes <laughs> right so it's i'm losing a, my patience it's here kind of a hard i feel like you can go one or the other yeah um sometimes uh if people wanted to leave the band he said he would encourage players to take their parts with them <laughs> and then he would write new ones so that it arrangements like just, would evolve over time yeah Oh, oh, I, I thought it, w- it was a scene where people were like, hey, son, I got to get out of here. I'm leaving. All right. We'll keep working on that part with you. No, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah, just, keep, <laughs> just keep that part with you. Oh, just yeah. keep going. But no, he's like, no, if th- that guy's leaving that band, I'm writing that part out yeah, of the band. Yeah, Whole yeah. new part for that. Yeah. George, George's part, dead to dead. us. Yep. Don't even think about it again. George's part, canceled. canceled. Now, Robert's part is my new best friend. <laughs> Are you going to mention Pat Patrick? Because the only Sun Ra fun fact I have is about him. Uh, please share. Please uh, share. So he was one of like the players that he started playing with in Chicago and he's just, like incredible. I think he was like an alto sax player and he left at one point to like get married and Sunra's like, how dare you be with a woman yes. <laughs> or get married or find love outside right. of music. Uh, and he like comes back and he's basically one of the longest standing players in the orchestra. And his son was the mayor of Massachusetts. The, wait, 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 wait. Deval Patrick, the mayor of, the governor of governor, Massachusetts? Governor, sorry, sorry, yes. Sorry. Oh, shit. The governor of Massachusetts. Yes. Was the son of the, a the long-term, long-term orchestra, orchestra member. member. That's crazy. And that guy- how, Do you know how he was as governor? Like, any he, signature? He's pretty, pretty good, yeah. yeah. But he's also like, <laughs> he's like a mainstream Democrat uh, dude. He, he's Blue like State. somebody that like the Pot Save yeah. America guys love. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious because I've just been going through this list of all the like mainstream lib people who have like radical parents like Pat, mm. Pat Patrick, Duval Patrick, who very well might have run for president this year. He was like on the short list. Um, pe- pe- what is a short list? Buttigieg's dad was a Gramsci scholar, like a socialist uh, scholar. Kamala Harris's yeah. uh, father was a Marxist uh, scholar who has disavowed her views. Uh, again, uh, uh, Marianne Williamson's dad took the family to, to uh, Saigon, <laughs> Saigon yeah. uh, in the, in 1967 to teach them the horrors of American imperialism. <laughs> like 
all these people have like way out parents and then become like mainstream Democrat. Well, yeah. not Marianne Williamson, but the other yeah. three are, are, are like, you know, Cent- squeaky, mainstream DNC guys. That's yeah. just another one to put on the list. Yes. Add, add that to the list. And yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. Pat Patrick seems like he was, he's like in and out of the group, but he's yeah. very, very important to it. Yes. He's super talented. It doesn't really, you know, it, the book isn't about him. So I don't know how <laughs> in, but it's like, you have to be really, into all of Sunrise teaching in theory to even yeah. be a part of the orchestra at all because other it's not like you're in it for the money. Right, right. You're in it for the totally. art. Yes. I'm just thinking that's about- my, That's my fun fact. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm just thinking about like my saying at one point, like talking to our friend Matthew and saying like, oh, like uh, if I have kids one day, they're they're going to disappoint me by listening to some like terrible music or, or whatever. And Matthew's like, no, your your kids will disappoint you by joining the army. Yes. Like things are going to, <laughs> yeah. things are going to always swing the opposite pendulum from where parental, to, and there's nothing you can do about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that sounds like that's kind of like that guy. <laughs> Should we finally listen to a Sun Ra song? Yes. yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, I've got the first album, Jazz by Sun Ra. I believe this is like 1950, 1957. Uh, I'm just going to pull uh, one uh, off of here at random because I do not know this album uh, track by track. I'm st- I'm torn between Brainville and Street Named Hell. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with Street Named Hell. Cool. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like fairly standard bebop to me. I'm sure a person who actually knows 50s bebop would tell you that it's insane by 50s bebop standards. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of when I've been listening to Sunra over the past couple weeks, I'm like, sounds like jazz. Sounds like jazz. And, you know, this clearly I think is, yeah, a bit. But I think a lot of his stuff was like he rejected a lot of it, even though he he incorporated a lot of like bebop or hard bop or what people were doing at the time. But was like, I don't work within this structure of because yeah. this is a structure. I don't work within structure. Right. So it's like important that he's like, I'm doing this, but I'm also doing other things on top of this. Yeah. And would you know some. Someone's I mean, playing the yeah. wind. Yeah, I mean, right. There's a good one sound- anecdote I love. Was like, someone's like, "Son, what's the sound of one hand clapping?" And he's like, "The breeze." <laughs> like, uh, this does sound a little more bombastic than the uh, the bebop that I know of. And I will say that the thing about jazz at this time that I understand is that basically every new bebop album was like trying to write write a book and advance the language at the same time. Like every single time. Mm one of the like standard artists or like the well-known artists now like Miles Davis or Charlie Parker like recorded a new album they were trying to like push the language further into a realm that like musical language had never existed in before mm-hmm. so you know us now 50 years on 60 years on we have heard so much exper- experimental stuff that it, it, it's kind of incomprehensible that like playing uh, a series of, of chromatic notes all in a line is like unheard of until that point. I I don't know. It's hard to explain without being an expert in any of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, But I will say this song grooves. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a jazz dad is going to bust through our door like the Kool-Aid man and being like, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But no, I Don't you hear how they reinterpolated the fifth and the seventh bar? Right, Right. exactly. Or like that particular kind of jazz solo with a heavy focus on the the low end bass is is completely unheard of in 1954. It was not done in 1957, yes. 
um, yeah, no, this, I mean, Look, we're, n- this we're not great. We're not experts here. We are, uh, 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 poly polyglots, polygormons. Yeah, polygormons. We, we enjoy, we enjoy a little bit of everything. We do. Anyway, this is a street named Hell off of 1957's Jazz by Sun Ra. You know what? It kind of sounds like a street named Hell. I don't want to go to whatever street this is. I mean, this <laughs> is sketchy. Yeah. This is pretty discordant in the end here. Sus. It's a sus street. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Um, the orchestra not only is making unconventional music, they uh, start wearing these outlandish opera costumes on stage, which is breaking the jazz tradition of basically looking like a dapper, dapper men in suits. suits. Um, Sunrise basically like we, if people can wear costumes in the opera, why can't we wear costumes right now? I buy that logic. Yep. Um, he, they start kind of building at their stage shows, uh, building out sort of scenery and lighting. He said, some said, I had a special space hat with a light on top. And people said to me, why you got to have a blue light on the top of your head? I said, cause I feel like it. Yes, sure. Fuck it. Yes. Fuck it, dog. Life's a risk. Yes. Mm-hmm. I didn't that, I feel like that, that kind of stuff again, still it's like everything is, even if jazz, we understand it as like being very experimental. Everything is very much bordered by convention. Yes. And, uh, you know, Doing something because you feel like it is simply not done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, band moves to New York City in 1961. Great time to move to New York. Yes. Maybe the last good time to move to New York. <laughs> yeah. Well, Unless, yeah, actually. <laughs> Heroin was still extremely cheap. Playing, playing uh, the neighborhood yeah. game. Oh, nice, nice. Um, they started, I just love this, they started performing at things like uh, Jazz and Java Nights <laughs> at the uh, East Village Theater uh, hey, that was hosting film showing. You cats heard about this new thing called coffee? <laughs> Coffee. It, it really, when it's like talking about the coffee houses, I'm like, I didn't even think about how they did have coffee then. Yeah. Like, it's, they had one kind. Yeah. Yeah. No mochaccino, no frappuccino, no alpuccino. No alpuccino. No. That's a what callback to last episode. <laughs> for, for regular <laughs> listeners, we hope you, you'll yes. be rewarded. <laughs> um, they also play at this bar called Slugs. Uh, which they, that's, they're a long-term uh, musical resident sure. of Slugs, and they say Slugs is kind of a, you know, you could see anyone there from other, like, rock musicians to drug dealers. Like, it's kind of an anything-goes uh, village. Yeah, this is like early Haunt. early days, Lower East Side and West Bohemian. Village, yeah. Yep. Uh, one night at Slugs, a, a man... A very young... Is that the one where they're talking about? It's like, first it was all the drug dealers, yes. and then all the musicians come there to get the drugs, yes. and, and then it just becomes start... the musicians, <laughs> yeah. and that's where they hang out. Yeah. And all the drug dealers are like, man, oh, this place used to be cool before all these lame musicians started hanging yeah. out here. Man, they're, they're mixing my business and pleasure. I just wanted to hang out here while I had yeah. my off times before, you know, between selling the drugs, and now i got to sell the drugs at the place that I have fun. This sucks. Leave. Yeah. Um, one night at Slugs, a man from India approached Sun and said, you just played the forbidden sacred music. <laughs> and Sun Ra said, uh, yeah, I did. I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, dude. Um, also, once apparently one night at Slugs, someone in a ninja costume jumped on the bar and started slicing off uh, the tops of glass bottlenecks with a ninja sword. What? It was that kind of place, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, people say they want they you know miss the Bohemian times of New York, but did you really want to go to a bar and yes, have someone? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I believe there's a sushi place called Ninja now in uh, Manhattan. Yes. You Is can go true? to. Were they do they yeah. dress up like ninjas? Yeah. Do they serve you your food without being noticed? No, I think you're supposed I don't know. to notice. Them. I would like no. that if they're gonna do 
do they slice off the top of every bottle at the bar? <laughs> Don't know. Okay. Pro- probably have some sort of. We'll ocean. go there after and check it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll do. We'll do a pod from from Ninja. Um, the they were recounting an audition for the orchestra. There was a, a singer called uh, his name was Art Jenkins, and he auditioned for the group. And Sun asked him, he's like, I need a singer who can do the impossible. And so Art Jenkins response was to, quote, rummage through a bag of miscellaneous instruments, uh, pull out a ram's horn, sing into it backwards. So singing the into big the end. big end, through the end, the, the small end, and then move his hand to modulate the pitch, which Sun just absolutely loved. Of course. <laughs> that sounds great. So this, I just... That's just an example of like the kind of level that people are on right. at this point in the mm-hmm. 60s in New York. Like people are doing the impossible. Right. Singing into horns and out of horns. Um, the biographer writes, the performances were going longer, the rhythms wilder and more complex, and the soloists were being encouraged to go further beyond their means. Should we f- try to find something now? I've got Sun Ra live at Slug Saloon in 1969 ah. pulled up. It's a little, nice. a little further. So this might be at the... Um, end of the that's of this, fine uh, <laughs> probably the best we're gonna get yeah i think it is <laughs> the best we're gonna right, let's get. see i'm gonna pull, pull into the middle of this and see what it sounds like see now this is we're we've escaped the conventions of bebop someone took the instructions and not play the note yeah <laughs> I mean, the amazing thing about all this is remembering that it's fairly precisely orchestrated. Right. It's yeah. an arrangement. Well, that's, yeah, there's so many times where it's like, it's like, the like, a sixth grader could do this, or like, yeah. whatever. And he's like, yes, they could, but they couldn't write it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. A sixth grader could do this, but could they repeat it? Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes I think he's like, we couldn't repeat this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as with all jazz, it's like a, a mix of composition and uh, improvisation. Yeah. yeah. And in that sweet middle spot, that's where the magic is. That's where the void is. That's where the void is. That's where the void is. I mean, this is fairly discordant, but as I mean, as jazz gets even more and more avant-garde, I mean, this is still in a pretty sweet spot of being like, okay, I can follow the rhythm, I can follow the melodies. It's chaotic, but I, I can I can like track it, you know? Yeah, it's like if you've heard like a well, so he's. I believe he named Pharaoh Sanders. Yeah. Uh, and like, well, if you've listened to like Pharaoh Sanders or like any jazz saxophonists, <laughs> you've heard something like this before. Yes. Sun Ra, live at Slick Saloon, 1969, 1970. Cool. Cool. Good cool stuff. stuff. I like it. Um, so I want to talk about money again because <laughs> I do think I money to me is important to this whole tale too. Specifically, one thing I find fascinating is that kind of by the sixties, kind of almost in spite of themselves, in just kind of by sort of not beating people into submission, but by just being so consistent in their weirdness, they develop an audience. Mm-hmm. Like people actually care and they're interested in seeing them. Um, and so in the sixties so much of their performances seem to be subsidized by like public organizations and, you know, private or like nonprofits, um, colleges, like grants, 
so they went to the Princeton brought them there to sure. like they sent them to Princeton. I mean, they brought 10 painters with canvases on stage and they were painting while they yeah. were playing jazz. I mean, you can't uh, judge uh, Princeton's taste uh, too, too kindly because they also brought us uh, at Chapo Trap House. There. I think it's more Ooh. just a, a, an example of how a place that's just like fat with endowment can yeah, yeah. Uh, endow the weird. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's, and I think that like, even before that, when it's talking about like Amiri Baraka and like this organization that he starts in Harlem, cause like Sun Ra's kind of downtown, but yeah. he's also involved in like the Harlem scene uptown and like mm-hmm. they get some like Lyndon Johnson government grants that help them. Like, so there's like a lot of, again, like tertiary involvement with like Black Panthers and just different mm-hmm. like Black, like nationalist kind of movements that they kind of are given money to do performances because they're so representative of that, like, culture and like yep. that, that belief system. And so I think there's, well, yeah, they live like with the black Panthers for a while, yes. but they're, they're not getting government money yeah. <laughs> at all. But like, yeah, there's it's like that. And like, yeah. And I think when it's like, Ooh, and finally like they can play all these college gigs, which is still as a, a music professional <laughs> and it's still where people are like, yeah, 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 I can go play some college gigs. Sick. <laughs> like yeah. that's where I'm going to make money. And then I can also play and like, some random town or yeah, at yeah. some DIY venue yeah, or yeah. whatever. Totally. So. Um, they, another gig that was interesting to me is they went on a tour, like a week long tour of New York state colleges funded by the Esperanto foundation. Oh yeah, yes. that was weird. <laughs> yes. So like that's well, back a when thing. They, when people were really trying to make Esperanto a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, cause <laughs> I'm actually pulled up to a page <laughs> about, ESP, which actually mm-hmm. releases tons of like crazy music. I'm literally have like yeah. the second oh, the label like, ESP, yeah, 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 which is founded from the Esperanto Espe- Foundation. Oh my, yes, I forgot that ESP standard for the Esperanto. Oh my god! <laughs> so like that happened. Um, there was a show. You know who was really into e- to Esperanto in that era? Who? William Shatner. Oh, he was like a big <laughs> Esperanto guy in the late sixties, uh, early seventies. Like I think during the the Star Trek days. Oh man. Being into Esperanto in the '60s, I think, is a, just a very like you. You say that, and it's like, oh yeah, I get, I get you, I get you. Yes, <laughs> I get your whole thing. Yes, yep. Um, yeah, I, the, the people they recorded it's like Timothy Leary, William Burroughs, like Ornette Coleman, Ferris Sanders, Charles Manson. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? yes. Like, well, talk about again. Talk about my um, college radio days. ESP was one of those labels that if you were rooting through the stacks and you saw the ESP uh, label on it, you're like. Oh, this is going to be good and weird. And yeah. Like pull that immediately and just see what it is and, and see what's on it. Yeah. Uh, he, Sun Ra wanted to play with 10,000 musicians um, <laughs> in order to, quote, melt all the atomic bombs. Uh, but instead, he played with 100 musicians in Central Park, which was also subsidized by some sort of like national, in, like New York State Council for the Arts grant or something. Uh, so he's, he's playing all here's these the kind pitch. of amazing things. 100 guys. All right, here's a check. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so that's how he was kind of floated now, through. Now, he had that, that new millennium startup mindset, he was like, look, we got 100 guys, and it went well the first time. We just got to scale up 10,000 guys, melt all the atom bombs. He had, I'd say he had, because uh, he had his own label, which I think is super interesting, and like, as I mentioned, like the L Saturn records or discs, I don't know what mm. they're calling it, but like his own label, which was like one of the first, like, if not first like African American owned like independent label, one of the first like artist owned labels. Yeah. But also I'd always known as a like discog surfer that his 
has extremely rare records and reading in this book. I'm like, oh, that's why. Cause you were printing like a hundred at a time and yeah. like maybe mailing them out to people or maybe not. And so they, yeah, like they don't have a very, I mean, again, with the money, don't have a very cognizant uh, understanding of how money works or business or anything, but would also say, like- you say it's not mindful? It's definitely not mindful. <laughs> was it for some of those record releases? Wasn't he like draw like people were hand drawing yeah. covers? Like it was yeah. real. And some of them real like, zini, honestly, very zini. Yeah, and like some are like something something volume one and two, but it's labeled as three and four. Or yeah. like it's like they just drop them off and send them to stores, and they're like, we're not sure if this has music on it or not. But right. Like, yeah. So and so I'm like, well, at least you were on ESP, which as weird as it was legitimately made records and didn't just like maybe make records that might be warped or not right. and were drawn on. And I mean, super cool though. That would be great to own one. Yeah. No, I, I imagine the whole kind of trail that Sun Ra left with his record label and every, because he was so prolific in recording and yet so random. I don't know when I was pulling up earlier when I was just like, Oh, can you, can you stream Sun Ra? And boy, you can like I don't know how many albums are on there, but it's a fuck ton. I just, that just reminds me of the like James Murphy internet seekers who know every good album, <laughs> like oh, just year. being a Sun Ra fan in say the nineties when I'm pretty sure the biography was written was an entirely different experience yes. that I involved yeah. much more like, crate digging and hunting down and trading. And I don't know, I'm sure there was some sort of fan club. I'm, I'm, I will say I am on a uh, uh, YouTube right now. And I don't know if this is official, but there is a page called Saturn Archives okay. that appears to archive most Saturn releases. Wow. Going back to Sun Ra and his Solar Orchestra. Uh, this is uh, Other Planes of There, 1966, full album. Uh, this appears to be one of those hand-drawn covers. So, like, this yeah. stuff is all on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy to think how much. Because I think there was like somebody, I don't know, somebody bought the Saturn catalog or something. Yes. I think there were actually, there was one time where it was like a big record label is going to put it out and then they backed out. But he, it's, yeah, there's probably yeah, a lot of stuff out there. Like Soulways or something with like put this out or something. I don't know. It was like a, I think it was something like he, he thought there was going to be like a million dollar PR campaign behind it. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> well, the stuff is all on YouTube. Was, if you want to check it out, I mean, yeah, it'd be crazy to just, see his like bootlegs. Like, if people are doing like tape trading of Sun Ra shows versus Grateful Dead shows, right? That'd be yeah, 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 crazy. right. Um, there's a lot of good stuff on this page. Terry Riley. Uh, this is a this. Is, I might I might link to this YouTube page just to like go through if yeah. anyone has interest to like go through and check out the stuff. And it appears to go all like through all eras and stuff up to even like recent things semi-recent things anyway yeah. uh this is more uh 60s sun rom ah. Ah. <laughs> that sweet sex <laughs> or another instrument <laughs> could be a could be a ram horn it's mm-hmm. difficult could to be tell. somebody singing backwards through a ram horn yeah Oh yeah, speaking of just hearing the horn and drums, by I think by the sixties, he basically wanted everyone in his band to double as a percussionist. Okay, like whatever sure. you did, like you also needed to be able to bang on some drums whenever uh, Sun wanted you to. Yeah, if yeah. you're not if you're not blowing, you're you're pounding. Yes. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> uh, Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Uh, 
in um something Sun Ra never did. Right, right. Yeah, this Sun Ra is one of my favorite categories of musicians. Um, that is a, a he's like a vegetarian before his time. Uh, Maurice White, I think, was also a, a veg as well. He had a weird diet of some. He was some into kind. beet juice and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's juices. funny. Like all these people are technically, you know, right in yes. that. Like it's eating vegetables is generally better for you than it's eating better meat. for you. It's more more morally correct. No, vegetarians and, and vegans are definitely correct. Yeah, uh, but it's more fun. Fun the other way. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so who's <laughs> like to the, say uh, the moon correct. soup that he would make. Moon uh, soup. So I was like doing a a cookbook of musicians' recipes, and he would make a moon soup, but he couldn't give them a recipe because it was like, oh well, it's uh like peppers and okra and blah 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 and like other vegetables, but also like a certain amount of sincerity and love, <laughs> like in it, like oh you God. know, like again, you cannot really replicate a Sun Ra thing, including yeah. his. Moon soup. Yeah. Mm. Make the soup yeah. more like the moon, man. Now what I does that mean? The, I don't know. I want the moon soup. Oh, Sun Ra would know. Moon soup. He would know. Um, the, he moves so he moves the orchestra to Philly in 1968, basically because he, he was, starts to uh, getting too many noise complaints. everything, including moving your hip band to Philly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's getting oh, too many damn. noise complaints She's in these villages. Ultimate hipster. Yep. Um, noise complaints in the East Village in the 60s? Yeah. I mean, gentrification started early some places, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he, so they also start seriously touring Europe and they get like a serious Euro fan base. Yes. And that's where I think things kind of almost like turn for them is like Europeans kind of like get it Mm -hmm. at least a little more than Americans do. Um, Although they do. So they start, they almost start a riot. They play in Paris and for whatever. They they do a rights of spring. Yes. That's basically reference. They, they, I can't remember why, but the the security at the theater isn't going to honor everyone's tickets. They're only going to honor half of the tickets. Yeah, there's been like a bombing or like something yeah. bad happened at the theater quite recently, and it's, it was like. Uh, it is. Uh, look, look, we just said it is 1968. We do. We just had the uprising. We haven't had one since the Paris Commune. The things are rough right now. Things are. We are a little stressed. You understand. We uh, cannot handle the uh, jazz. It is uh, how should say uh, outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they, people are not being let in and then Sun basically takes the entire band outside and leads them in a parade through the barricades and then back in with everyone, um, everyone no, no, who was supposed everyone to Everyone like plus. <laughs> everyone plus. And then of course, like everything breaks, like their sound system breaks, their synths break, their like just every, all, all the tech problems happen. Um, but they, they had a, there's themselves a little near riot in Paris. Now is it, are, were those the... Barricades to get into the concert venue or the literal Paris 68 barricades? It was <laughs> to get into the venue because this yes. was like about a year ish yeah. or something oh, after okay. yeah. the actual rights. Oh, okay. It was like, okay. there's just kind of barricades like around yeah. in Paris, right? It's like, not, uh, not unfamiliar <laughs> to people. Okay, yeah. Great. Just ambient barricades. Uh, they, he played an LA show that was shut down early because they were, they, he, as you might, understand he has very little sense of time in terms of curfew or like when a show is supposed to end so they shut i feel feel like that's a a standard like jazz and especially reggae thing they shut the lights out in the theater and so he says uh how dare you turn the light out on me i'm not afraid of the dark i'm a part of nature the birds don't have to stop playing at 1 a.m why should i you just had one earthquake los angeles you should expect another so he curses them There's, Which is amazing. Yeah. And there was another example of him being like, 
cursing someone. It's like, and then their building burned down like five <laughs> weeks later. <laughs> like, yeah, he's I'm tapped getting, into something powerful. To maybe not quite as much second guess his he, his self story. No, he's a he's a powerful uh, man. Though yeah. I do want to point out that the birds really do stop chirping at one a.m. Usually, you don't really hear any many night birds. But it's of their own volition. I guess you I know. know. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some. I don't know. Night oh. birds are just bats. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I will um, say, I feel like it's around this time that in the beginning, I'm very like, wow, I am on board with you, Sunra. You are super like otherworldly intelligent. You have this like a big thing from like dedication, the word I'm looking for, like uh, discipline. Discipline, yeah. discipline is like a whole thing from his life. And like, it feels like at some point where all this is happening, I'm like, you're kind of losing the thread with me because of how, and I think other people are starting to know him more and they don't, I'm like, I'm with you. I've heard your backstory. I'm not like <laughs> against you. I don't question anything, but also you feel a little less disciplined and you're maybe more into like the costumes yeah. and like the theatrical elements of it and still the like 12 hour rehearsals and all that. Right. But it's like more, Seems a little more loosey goosey and uh, a little more cosmic. It, it's yeah. like almost like the twelve-hour rehearsals are like for the point of being the guy who does twelve-hour rehearsals, rather than the need for that kind of dedication. I think it's still the need because he has so many musicians coming and going that he still needs to like have everybody rehearsing all the time yeah. in case somebody leaves or something. But yeah. like it's uh, it. I think it starts while it's still about the <laughs> like orchestra. The, it becomes a little more like because I think it's where he kind of transitions from like. He's, he's not like I'm a leader, but he's like I'm a a force, a force. Yeah, yeah. And he's like the calling card. And, yeah, yeah. It's and like it's kind of like Soviet army. It's like when the man in front of mm. you falls, you pick up their clarinet and keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's. It's kind of he's not like oh you know if you if you don't like it then you leave. But it is kind of like that where it's like you. It's kind of like you guys know how I am, right? Like, yeah. so. And again, with the money, where it's like. He's like it transitioning a bit into a character of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so he. Maybe not even this early, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, he became, in the early 70s, he became, he got a, a sweet job at UC Berkeley as a lecturer. Okay, cool. So this is just another example of kind of this like subsidized, like specifically black thought of being like, well, you know, the civil rights movement, like this is something that uh, I think America is at least starting to value more in the intellectual side, even if they're not necessarily treating black people as human beings. And so like, sure, you can become a professor. He did. He was in teacher's college. Uh, it truly <laughs> mm-hmm. was a great society program. Mm. I'm kind of not kidding. This is like the kind of thing where I'm part of me is like corruption is good. Mm-hmm. Like there's a kind of corruption that's just like I, I would, as a, a leader of a certain kind, I would kind of promote that's just like money kind of on government trees for weirdos like Sun Ra to be able to like shake off and go like do yeah. their own thing. And like at a certain level, like corruption is just people getting paid <laughs> to do good, good things. Yes. Especially in a society that doesn't necessarily award money to stuff like this. Like there should just be to a certain level, a kind of graft and bloat for somebody to be like, Hey, I'm gonna rebuild a radio over and over until I can contact God. Uh, yeah. Be like, all right, I'll give you like two thousand or two thousand dollars a month for a year to see if that works. Yeah, yeah. and just like, like it's like, oh, you have a place for you in the orchestra to stay yeah. and like meals and you know, it's, yeah. What what does that matter to the government? <laughs> These guys created interesting music for three or four decades. It's like 
for for what it costs oh. for like the government to like move. Wait, I was just thinking about the part though where they for he doesn't get paid for two months because oh, yes. they just like either like right. forgot that they were right. having him teach a course. Yeah, or that's for, that's basically what ended his involvement in UC Berkeley. And these, this, this is when guys, they were staying with the Black Panthers, right? Yeah, these guys made interesting music for four decades. For what it takes for the government to like research what kind of new trash can to order on one floor of the Pentagon. Yeah. Like that's good return on investment as far as I'm concerned for government money. Yeah. Yeah. Micro loans for weirdos. Yes, exactly. That's my new program that I'm starting. I'm would love to be on the (laughs) organization. Yeah. Just like paid off like from dividends of like Raytheon investments or whatever. Right. Look, I'll, If they give me a compelling enough pitch, I'll, I'd give any guy five hundred bucks a month for twelve for twelve months to just see what they can come up with. Yeah, I guess that's technically what like a like a MacArthur Genius Grant is. But, do it, but like, just way, just yeah, scale it down. Genius, way too much pressure. Yeah, yeah. way too much MacArthur pressure. MacArthur Weirdo Grant. Yeah. MacArthur Weirdo Grant. Yes, I yes, love yes. that. Yes. Ugh. Some someone give us a yeah. big big mess of money, and we'll just organize this yeah. whole thing. Yeah, uh, we've got this. So I just in one of a the books that in the typical lecture, Sun Ra would write biblical quotes on the board and permutate them, <laughs> so uh, rewriting them, transforming their letters and their syntax into new equations of meaning. So he's still stuck on this Bible stuff. Imagine <laughs> being in this class and, and like. Well, he's like, I don't know. I did this like ten years ago, twenty years ago. I can just talk to a bunch of college students about it. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, He's playing all the old hits. The what here's one quote. The cross represents death, the worship of the god of death. Yes, uh, not quote, incorrect. When Simon Peter and Andrew were fishing with nets, uh Jesus called to them and told them that he would make them fishers of men. Sure. Net reversed is ten. Okay. Now you're X losing me. Is the Roman numeral for ten. Okay. The net is Christ. He's being used to trap humans. Xmas is a mass okay. for the dead. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you imagine being in class? I mean, I'm just trying to take notes on that and being like, what? But, but the thing is, is that like, that's so perfect because it is like a weaving at, in and out of things that are literally true with t- utter nonsense in like a good cult, like cult leader way of just like confusing people. Like mm. Christianity is a death worshiping religion. That is like literally the central symbol symbol of the entire Thing. He's right there. And then he get he's good up into the net reversed his 10. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't think that those linguistic things have any similar root. But you're anything. just kind of going with it at that point. Yeah, he's, he's doing a jazz set. He is. I really, like I say, I'm like, he's not a cult leader, but is he not kind of? Yes. He's, he's like got- the most, he's like the least... Like leader, he's leadery. The lead. Like his marketing sucks, but yeah. like his materials are and also, okay. He, he doesn't take it to the part where he like wants people to like to to like give up their lives to him. Maybe no. well, they, because I mean, he's happy people for people do. to come and go. He's ha- he he will let yeah. people leave. It's and not like Scientology with him. It's not. Like, it's very. There is like a communal living aspect to it, but like by merit of or by how how much space they have, they can't all live together because they don't have that much space. It's like, because he doesn't fuck. He's yes. a perfect cult leader because oh, sex yes. isn't involved. Yeah. He's They're on a higher a plane. Cult. <laughs> yeah. So I think that he, really helps. The most kind or possibly the most dangerous would be incel cult leader. Yeah, well, mm. well, Valsel. Valsel, which is the the most, uh, the highest level of sexuality. Mm. Voluntarily celibate. <laughs> well, as long as jazz is involved. kind of his thing. Yeah. I mean, if he, it seems like he has no, no interest in it. He's no interest in it. I think in the beginning, because it talks about when he's... Uh, 
let's just have a sex chat right now. Yeah. When, <laughs> when he was going, trying to be like a conscientious objector, he's mm-hmm. like, I'm slitting my wrists and the one testicle that I have. Ooh, and I'm like, whoa. yeah. So he's like Terrible. saying he's going to kill himself. And yes. like but, also, but also it would but, be- cause it's the thing where I'm like, okay, he is like abstaining because he is so devoted and needs to main, like, maintain like absolute devotion to the music. So he doesn't, wants no distractions. Sex is a distraction. Yeah. But then I think about it and you're like, well, he had some weird like herniated shit yeah. in his childhood. I so that's why that. I'm like- Maybe he has like l- extremely I, low testosterone or something. I mean, maybe we're just like wildly speculating <laughs> yeah, now. Right. Oh, we are wildly speculating, but I have wildly but speculated. Admits- I'm like, I don't think, I wonder if he's, not even does he not fuck. I wonder if he ever fucked. Oh, it, it, and like, and, mm. yeah, I don't know. But Doesn't he admits make a in the book that he has one testicle. Yes, because it was like something to do with like a hernia that he had. Yeah, he was like sick when he was in jail and or that that camp. When he was a kid, it was from like a childhood. Yeah, thing. But yeah. yeah. But then yes, he admits to the government. I, f- I forgot about that. <laughs> My one ball not get me out of war. <laughs> yeah. What do I have to do? There, I mean, I don't know if it's worth bringing up just about his views specifically on like black folks versus white folks as he like went through the sixties to the seventies because they changed a lot. Yeah. He, in his earlier life, he definitely had more of the idea of like black people are from Egypt. Like they are, have a higher knowledge, a higher spiritual self that has been destroyed with slavery. And like, we need to find that again. Okay. But then like, as he kind of moves into like his fifties and then sixties, he, it's, it's tough to put my finger on what he actually means because he, I think he's just getting deep into the void there. But he, just one quote, he said, uh, at one time I felt that white people were to blame for everything and then I found out they're just puppets and pawns of some greater force. It fooled them, made a fool out of them, and also made a fool out of black people. Some force is having a good time off both of them, uh, enjoying itself in a reserved seat, wondering, I wonder when they're going to wake up. So I don't, I, and I wouldn't call that the like, Every like everyone sucks or like, oh, like black people need to like figure shit out. But he's got this very unique point of view on like what I don't know. It feels also like a bit of like a moving target where he Mm. also talks about he's like only wants to play for black audiences. And that's what he plays for for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And like both in like earlier bands and with the orchestra. And then kind of shifts where I think, you know, he's doesn't want to, I think be so like identified with like the nation of Islam or people who are mm-hmm. like, it, we are just for black culture because he's like, everybody should experience this. And it seems like a little egalitarian. Yeah. And then it kind of shifts to like, we haven't talked about like when he's in Egypt, but like yeah. when he's in Egypt and he's like, these are, you are not the original Egyptians. <laughs> and like, we are not. So it's like almost like he like evolves into being like, well, we're just not playing for an earthly audience. We're playing for like the creator and like (laughs) this, like everybody, like everybody's wrong. Everybody's tied to like earthly concerns and that's wrong. So it doesn't matter what you are. Yo, people love it when you come to their country from America and say that you are not, (laughs) you are not from your country. Well, he also, he, people would be like, you're, you're African. And he's like, not the same kind as you. Like he was like very like separated and that, but he would all, he would kind of by the end of his life, almost disassociate from blackness because, Mm -hmm. because he wasn't concerned with like earthly blackness. He was concerned with like cosmic blackness. Yeah. It's some heavy shit, man. I can't even yeah, begin to pretend like, to understand I'm it. I'm 
English American because yeah. I speak English. I'm not African American because I don't speak African. And yeah. it's like, this is some wild semantics, my dude. Yeah. Like, I, I mean that anytime anyone reads me a quote that says, uh, you know, people are being manipulated, not even the bad people, the uh, the white people are, uh, understand the forces but that they are being manipulated by. Mm. I want to be like, are you perhaps talking about the forces of capital? Yeah, right. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't, I think that he's not even grasping towards that's that. That's a nice, it's definitely a nice thought, but I feel like he has no, doesn't have enough interaction with like literal material currency to even, or even thinks about, even, even thinks about, about it. Yeah. 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 It's funny that the capitalism, I think factors very little into his worldview ultimately, yeah. perhaps because he doesn't feel the like tug of monetary concerns. He yeah. just somehow makes he, it through. He's beyond just has no money. <laughs> yeah. Like where are you getting your gold flowing capes and where are you getting your like, fancy space hats yeah. like where did the money for the space hats come from <laughs> are like, you buying your ingredients for your moon your moon stew yeah i'm <laughs> i'm Amazing. just constantly yeah. wondering yes yes where do you um, get your costumes so by the late 70s sunra and the orchestra are basically recognized internationally as like an avant-garde jazz force. Like they have gotten, they don't necessarily have a lot of money and they don't necessarily have like widespread pop popularity, but they are respected. (laughs) They're like a respected, revered group and they they can tour and play accordingly. Almost anywhere. They can play almost anywhere. They, it's actually said that in the book, um, they could play colleges. They could play like, you know, any revered theater in New York. I'm sure they could go to like Japan. They did go to Japan at the end of their career. Much later than you'd think, really, considering how like weird uh, Japan likes weird music. Right. They played on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. They did? Yes. Oh, they also, I'm we sure. We should pull, you want to pull this up, actually? I'm sure Ooh, it's in there. Saturday Night Live used to be cool. <laughs> well, Back they, when people didn't know what a sketch show, like a, what could do, or yeah. was, or the limits of it, it was cool. I would right, also say that this is, oh, so, go ahead. Uh, here is a, a Sun Ra on Saturday Night Live. What year is this? 79? Your host, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Does he have a dancer on stage? Uh, he's got people dancing. He's got. They're all wearing costumes. He's got people playing. Uh, uh, drums with weird horn instruments that I've never quite seen before. It's my favorite cool. part of any podcast describing a video. Yeah. <laughs> Especially this one. Yeah. Uh, worth working up. Like instruments that don't, don't exist, exist anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, the sun harp? <laughs> uh, worth looking up. Uh, oh, here we go. I see a drum. I know that one. Uh, this owns uh, Buck Henry was the musical was the host that night. Another le- <laughs> yeah. legend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. So yeah, they they can do whatever they want, but within this like kind of very specific like, jazz heritage, like sphere mode. of like elite jazz, like critical and like elite avant garde. Because yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like because well because I think it's 
sort of later than when jazz is like, people come out and see jazz. Like mm. people don't come out and see jazz as much. But the other kind of like entry point that I have more recently for Sunrise, like his early adoption of like synths and electronic like instruments. Yes. Yes, and his, talk about that? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and like, yeah, that he was like going, I don't know if he was like playing with like Stockhausen, but he did play with John Cage, even though they were both like, mm-hmm. we didn't play together. They sort of played on the same stage, but their music wasn't interacting in any <laughs> discernible way. <laughs> put us on like, the same stage at the same time. It was like a joint concert between the two of them, but they were like, Sun Ra was like playing one thing and then John Cage would play another unrelated thing. Yeah. And then they'd sort of both play unrelated things. And later John Cage was like, I didn't play with him. And <laughs> yeah. So Why did John Cage disown that performance? That's yeah. cool, John Cage. Come I on. feel, I mean, I don't even know if it was like a disowning. I think it was more just recognizing like we were not playing together. Oh, okay, we okay, were okay. playing like Adjacently? you can be like <laughs> together, but separate. But like, yeah, I feel like those are two uh contemporaries-ish of his, but not within the jazz world. And that's a lot of what I feel like in Europe, why he was much Mm -hmm. more appreciated. Yeah. I want to bring up uh, just uh, while we're talking about weird collaborations. Yeah. uh, That I also remembered Sun Ra from a TV uh, appearance after you mentioned um, Saturday Night Live that I remember that Sun Ra appeared on one of my favorite old TV shows ever, Night uh, Night Music. Night Court? Not Night (laughs) Okay. Night Night Music. music. A Lorne Michaels produced night show that came on after SNL for a few years in the late 80s, okay. hosted by David Sanborn, who you might know as one of Bowie's long-running saxophonists. And all this was was an insane mix-up of totally bizarre musical acts that you would never imagine appearing together. So any given episode, well, let's start with the Sun Ra one. The, um, the Sun Ra episode was Sun Ra, the Pixies, Al Green, and Sister Carol. Uh, that the, is the next, amazing. Uh, let's see. The episode before featured LL Cool J, Ray Manzarek, and <laughs> Elliot Sharp. Wow. Uh, I don't know who that last person is, um, but that's a nice duo, the yeah, first two. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's another one? Conway Twitty and The Residents. <laughs> uh, this sounds Sonic amazing. Youth, yeah. The Indigo Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a bunch of people I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let me find that the, makes the, sense. The <laughs> I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers appeared twice. Yes, this is the best one. Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Kronos Quartet, and Miles Davis. Oh hell yeah, that's incredible. I mean, what year was that? These would be in like 1980, 1990. Wow. So this is maybe like Miles Davis is more popular than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Perhaps? <laughs> exactly. Yes, 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 exactly. Yes. Uh, my favorite. Um, <laughs> are they all collaborating or all just playing? They play their like, own and then they can yeah. collaborate at their at the end. I might put this as the outro music for this, even though it has nothing to do with uh, this. But um, there's a version of Perubu's Waiting for Mary that I love from the episode featuring Phil Glass, Debbie Harry, Loudon Rainwright III, and Perubu. Wow. And this is all all of them, okay. including David Sanborn, collaborating on Perubu's Waiting for Mary. <laughs> See, this, I mean, yeah, this, like, makes sense of something that Sun Ra would do in this period. Because there's also, like, they reference a couple of times, like, when he was interviewed for MTV. And I'm like, who the what? fuck at MTV yeah. is interviewing him? Yeah. Like, for what? Right. It's... For TRL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People, people totally requested Sun Ra. 
anyway, highly, <laughs> highly recommend. Deep in this. Yeah. Wow. Hi, sorry to go on that that night music uh, tangent. Just a, just but a little some, night music. That makes sense though, because that's the kind of like yeah weirdness that mm-hmm. he'd been like kind of like accepted into at that point in time, or like within like the seventies or eighties, because he was doing something that was like it was th- things had gotten to his was, level but, but of weirdness yeah, and like, like avant-gardeness yes. experiment. but anyway highly recommend going back and looking at some night, oh. night music clips on youtube because there's a lot of them there and they are all incredibly bizarre I, that yeah. this was like on immediately after mm-hmm. snl in the in the 80s or in like 1990 <laughs> amazing and that yeah. and that version of waiting for mary is actually one of my all-time favorite recordings wow <laughs> um so yeah they they were as mainstream, I guess, as you could be for a completely an avant-garde, ma- avant-garde <laughs> underground cosmic jazz collective, cosmic, like sometimes hundred yeah, yeah. jazz collective. Uh, so, uh, you know, by the late eighties, uh, Sun Ra was inducted into the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame. Uh, he was asked well, to I provide. Would certainly hope so. Well, right. Yeah, I should. I well, should he hope totally so. disavowed where he was from, or like no, just, where he, he was not. <laughs> sorry, he was not from there. But right, like, he was yeah. no from. Yeah, I, no, I'm he's certainly not from like, Birmingham. Like the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame, like trying to drag him through the door, where he's and him being like, "No, no, I'm not from yeah. there. <laughs> this is not my birthplace. I was not born." Uh, he's like ripping up his birth certificate in front of he did. Um, so they asked him for biographical information for like a display and he did not give them anything. Saturday. And he also asked for a birth certificate at one point and they were like, we don't have it. And he was like, yes, good. <laughs> owned, good. owned. I am from Saturn. Yeah. Fuck you all. Yeah. Um, but that's like, at the end of his life. He starts getting more concerned with like the accolades, like accolades and stuff, yes. which I, I'm like, I get it. You've been doing this for a long ass time. Yeah. You deserve it, but it's also earthly. you're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a rather earthly concern. Uh, Cause he's like, kinda, I've only been involved earth- into three hall, like hall of fames. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of earthly bro. Yeah. A little earthly, mm-hmm. earthy dog. Uh, you're thinking pretty planar yeah. here. Yeah. 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 We're, we're trying to get interstellar. Yeah. Bro. Um, he, <laughs> Once he was in Berlin with his band, he was leaning on the side of a car, uh, talking to a couple men. When he was pulled into the car, the car drove away. He was kidnapped. Uh, he disappeared, and he resurfaced hours later uh, to his worried bandmates. He said he was taken to a planetarium, and he was asked about the black space program. And they were like, so how are you planning on getting to space? Like, what do you? What kind of technology are you using? And he was like, noise <laughs> what's your fuel yeah what's your fuel for the spaceship and he's like noise <laughs> noise um god i hope that those were like racist eastern european like uh deep state kooks who are like severely concerned with black people gaining an independent ability Cosm- to get to space <laughs> Cosmonauts or whatever. And they're like, like all right uh this guy's getting there on noise we're okay yeah <laughs> Um, you do not understand what I mean by getting to space, my friends. Yeah, uh, right. If you have to ask about fuel, you don't. You're know. not going to get there. Mm-hmm. So, in 1990, um, he suffered a series of strokes that basically totally debilitated them. Him, but he got back in good enough shape. So he he said of this, he said, "There are forces trying to hold me back, and other forces trying to help me onward, and I'm the battleground." Ah. That's how he referred. It. Like he had been to the doctor like once in his life before that. <laughs> by the way. He was not really your, used to going to the doctor. Your body is clinically a mess. Yeah. Um, but he, he basically like pushed himself into good enough health to uh, open for Sonic Youth a couple times in 1991. Amazing. I was, thinking, I was trying to figure, it was 
July 4th, we are coming up, whatever, well, as, as we are recording. Yes. Wait, I think either 1990 or 1991. I'm not quite sure. But yes, July 4th. Either way, the countdown begins right, to right. the of 20th anniversary, 30th? 40th? Right. I don't know what time. Oh my God. Um, and so he's not, he's in poor health and he eventually, uh, he passes away in 1993. Um, so this is one of the rare books that we do on the podcast where we actually have reached the end of someone's life, which right. always feels a little awkward to me because <laughs> usually people end the book that they have written and it's like, I don't know, man, all I got to do is just keep rocking. And like, yeah, this is not the same uh, thing. Well, he, really? He, do you want to, do you want to get there? Do what? I? Is it not really the beginning? Right. Yes. He didn't die. He left. This yeah. phase is, uh, yeah. has transpired. It's he not left. even completed. This is like, because it's all probably just a moment. Anyway. Birth birth is just be earth. Mm-hmm. He, you be, know? he be earth and then he de-earth. Yeah. <laughs> yep. He didn't die. He dearth. He, he is a dearth of life. Yes. <laughs> oh, now we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. I can't um, find any video evidence of his Sun Ra opening or of his Sonic Youth opening, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that's probably for the best because I feel like that's a little insulting. He was probably, yeah, he's probably been... <laughs> Probably a little bit out of it. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, like, scrub this from the future internet. Yes. Right. Right. The just to to close his his chapter, I, I condensed kind of the end of this, uh, t- thinking about how to remember Sun Ra. So the writer said he had never wanted to be a leader. He was forced by the creator into the job of troubleshooter for the universe, <laughs> which I love. Uh, in Sun Ra's romanticism, IT. right? IT, IT for the universe. In Sun Ra's romanticism, art is capable of constituting a community which mirrors the universe, an artist's vision of the black sacred cosmos. He preserved a few absolutes yes. from a, yes. his own attack beauty, discipline, space, the creator, infinity. Uh, most reasonable people yes. would have said he was a demanding master, but with Sun Ra, it was just up to you to make sense of what he said and to Get find in level. it what mm-hmm. you could use. Uh, his myth ritual statements could wake you to the void in our lives, even when it was impossible to accept his solution. Amazing. Sun Ra. Yeah. Fuck. I think that that is a, uh, a, a cosmic mindset ideal that we can all aspire to is, is uh, you know, living to an ideal outside of your own conception of space and time. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's extremely hard, but that's like, it was not lucrative, not lucrative. <laughs> became an international legend through it. And, you, and a good musician, a tremendous musician, right. incredible musician. I'd yeah. say, and you know, his spirit lives on yeah. through the birds and, <laughs> the, and little Wayne. I, I think, yes. That's, I think that that was an amazing reference. Cause like, yes, who, like who is calling them? Yeah. Why do, why is anyone calling themselves an alien? It's like, Basically because of this guy. Yeah, I feel like Lil Wayne and Outkast are the inheritors of Sun Ra's legacy. But yes. also, in, in my mind. Yeah. But also <laughs> Probably accomplished jazz musicians are, but he's also such a sui generis figure <laughs> that it's like he's the kind of person that people will for generations come back to and see the way that he thought about music and did music over his lifespan and uh then reflected the music that he did within his own consciousness of the world and draw inspiration and in learning from it mm-hmm. uh and in the road in idiosyncratic ways i mean he is like the the type of person who is becomes considered a prophet you know yeah, yeah. and you know we That's stand a legend we do mm. he's also he just he 
as he read so much, like he was just pulling so much from like history and literature and religion. Like he had all the kind of like elements there and he really did make something that was entirely new, which very few people can do. Like at the end of the day, like he basically invented, he did like invent a language by deconstructing language. Like, I don't know. He's, I reading this book. There were just times where I was like, Whoa, (laughs) like, damn. That was a crazy pun you did there, dude. <laughs> uh, net backwards Zen. I mean, that's that's yeah. like the simplest one. But but to be trying to move things around that way and reflecting it if through music and language and thought and the remixing things that you're trying to do and inventing totally new things. Yeah. Without and being tied just, to one like genre other than jazz as a whole, but like not no yeah. micro yeah. genre throughout yeah. 40, 50 years of playing music. And the, I think just the, also the way that he like, Continue, like made music with people in like a collective, loose, collaborative mm-hmm. way. Like you know, the, is all are all collectives maybe not somewhat like inspired by him? I don't know who's to say, but who like can say? just the yeah, I think that I don't know. There's probably other people who've worked very much in that way, but he was doing it super early, like yes. before yeah. any kind of like the hippie collectives that he sort of did not get down with, right? Um, <laughs> and the orchestra continues. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. They, That's they persist beyond him. Um, they are led by his long-term like assistant, basically. I think it's had sure. a couple. Yeah, I'm not sure who is doing it now because kind of there was the guy I want. Um, I'm Thompson. Uh, there was there was one guy who was sort of like pseudo manager. That's another thing. They never really seemed to have a manager, which yeah. makes sense since they right. never had any money. Well, how like, did you book the orchestra? Uh, <laughs> like, who did you get in contact with? They basically uh, had like, like friends. Yeah. yeah. No, they, it sounded like they had like friends in different cities that they basically relied on to like, like hey, you have get their in touch ear with the orchestra? I can, yeah. you, I can get the yeah. ar- orchestra yeah. here. I know a guy. Yeah. They did. It even says in that one part, it's like they have the guys in all the different cities. You can bring them in to play whatever. But yeah, there was like the one guy, but then he like was secretly married and didn't tell Sunron. So he stops being their like pseudo manager. And then the other, I'm whatever, we're at the end. The other guy who was like dying at the same time, Gilmore, I think was dying at the same time as him. So he wasn't carrying it on. So yeah, you know, Google it people. (laughs) They still continue. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that it's a lot of new blood who just live on in his tradition yeah. of sound and space and Noise. someone else. Ah, the void, the void. <laughs> the the void. void. Ah, the void. To the void. To the void we go. To the void we go. Well, with that, uh, let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Yes. Hannah, thank you thank for, you for s- joining us. Is there suggesting a- this book. For suggesting this book. Mind blown. Thanks for having me. Uh, would you? Is there anything that you would like to plug or... Uh, discuss or uh you know promote or anything at all that you would like to say uh not really (laughs) follow me on twitter or not what's your your twitter h silk champagne really yes you don't need to but (laughs) i got Uh, nothing else (laughs) twitter's all we got man Uh, molly you got anything um i got nothing nothing particularly pluggable nor do I. July is a fallow month for me, which I huh. am very much looking forward to. Yes. Uh, so hopefully we can concentrate on getting some uh, good episodes of and intro in the bank. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As always, we have uh, good, fun things planning coming up. I hope that to soon do a uh, another legendary band headed by an idiosyncratic frontman with a huge roster of constantly revolving uh, band members in it. 
Do you? Yes. Okay. Ooh. I've already pitched this to you. You just don't know, know what it is yet. I'm going to ask what it is after this. After this. <laughs> uh, you'll find that out later. Stay tuned. Stay Watch tuned. this space. Mm. Anyway. Uh, uh, put, your, put your guesses. What do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> sound us. off in the comments. <laughs> yeah, sound off in the comments. Thanks, yeah. that's it. Uh, <laughs> Not a professional podcaster. <laughs> but until then, you can follow us on Twitter at andintropod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod and remember to subscribe to us on itunes and while you're there if you're a review uh it helps us find people but also please tell a friend yeah tell a friend about the show uh one of the people who came up to us in ireland kindly told us that they did indeed they confirmed that they told a friend they told a friend in real life and that extremely pleased me and we will find you and we will ask you if you've you've told told your friends and you should say Yes. We will come to your house and tell and ask you if you've asked a friend. I've Maybe told a lot now. of friends. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And you don't actually need friends to tell them, but you can just tell, you strangers, know, strangers, acquaintances, people at parties. You always need new shit to talk about when you're at a party. And talking about a podcast nobody's heard about is actually extremely good fodder for a party because everybody's heard of the same like 20 top yeah. parties. Oh, you're oh murders, murders and John, Mr. Murder. Me and my murder. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, whatever, whatever. Murder, murder, murder. Tell, bring murder, Gladwell. Murder, Gladwell. <laughs> Breathe the hipster that brings up the person who has a, a real underground podcast wreck to get into on the ground floor before it gets big. Yeah, I can you say can from experience. You can be that guy. You can be the person who saw Sun Ra at Slugs, uh, but a podcast and about recommending this one. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's the end of this episode. Uh, thank you to Hannah. Thank you to Molly. Thank, thank you. you to you, the dear listener. <laughs> and we will see you in another two weeks on another episode of And Intro Juicy. Yeah.